All right, well, get your Bibles out this morning. And if you would go to, um, hold on, Luke 19, Luke 19. So I'm still preaching on this message called What's Normal? And uh, I want to, I, I, I want to share a little bit, but I really want to get to communion this morning and I want to see our communion be really special to you. I believe communion always should be special, but I'm kind of preaching to the communion service. Um, so I don't want to do a whole lot of review. If you weren't here last week and heard the message, you need to go listen to last, last week's message. But I'm talking about what's normal is the title of the message. And I'm talking about, you know, the world right now is changing so much and they keep trying to put up in the whole you just understand, folks, it's between, it's not about Democrats. I want to say this again, it's not about Democrats or Republicans. You know, it's not about progressive and conservatives. It's about light and dark. It's about doing it, the, 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 the enemy, the devil versus God. That's what it is, okay? And what he wants to do is change the norm. And he wants to get you to see enough things over and over and over again, changing your norm that you begin to accept it. All right. You keep putting it out there and keep putting it out there, keep putting it out there and keep putting it out there. And then finally you say, OK, and you let it go. And then that becomes the new norm to you. That's what the world's trying to do right now. They're trying to say it's OK to kill babies. It's OK to do this stuff. It's OK because, you know, this, that or the other. And it's wrong. OK, and then there's no matter how you cut it. But if you don't have a basis of truth in your life based off of the word of God, well, then you'll just develop your truths that you just think they see fitting, all right? And so there's a lot of church members. There's a lot of, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the body of Christ. There's a lot of church people, a lot of denominations, a lot of things that people just want to change the denomination to accommodate the needs of the people or the wants of the people. There you go. I want to come up with the wants of the people, not really what the needs are, Right? Now, you know how you were when you were a kid, your, your mother made you eat the vegetables and you didn't want to, Yeah. right? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could live in Candyland that we could just eat chocolate all the time and it was good for you and you just eat chocolate and then pies and cakes and all that and that was good for you. And that's what your body needed and you were nourished and you say, man, I want to go. I can't wait to get to the cafe and get me a big old piece of three-layer German chocolate cake, double icing, <laughs> Right? If your body worked that way, but it doesn't. So no matter what you want to create in your world of norm, right, you can't have it that way. And no matter how much you keep trying to make it happen, that's what gets me. So many people in the world, what they're doing is not producing fruit, good fruit, but yet they keep doing it, trying to make that bad tree produce good fruit. And it isn't ever going to produce good fruit. All right. So anyway, I was talking about this and how to get your your, the today is how to get back to your normal, all right? I think what's funny is, uh, you know, all my life I wore a hat. And I was raised in the 70s, and, and there were certain type brims we wore. We wore shorter brims during the 70s, we always did. And then, you know, there was a time period where hat brims got really big, and, and everybody was wearing big brims. And, and then I went into a hat store here uh, not too long ago, and they... And I saw the young people in there and they looked at me and they were like, you know, I could see the little smirk on their face. And so uh, they were basically smirking at my three and a half inch brim hat I had on. And I was like, I'll slap that smile right off your face here in a minute if you don't. I said, man, what's the matter with you? And they're like, oh, no, it's four and a half now. And then you know what's happening? 
they're wrong because the generation is changing and everybody's going back and they're all going retro. And all of a sudden I've lived long enough that I'm in retro. <laughs> so now the old open road hats that my grandfather had and those kind of hats, people are starting to gravitate back to and that's becoming a popular thing. They think it's new. Ah! That's what I laugh about. They think it's new. And I'm like, oh, dude, man, you know, we rocked it in the 70s. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you, to get your norm, but you got to get back to the norm of what the word of God says. All right. And so let's look at this story here of Luke 19. Well, let me show you how Jesus starts messing up the normalcy of what people of that day had and starts changing it. It says, I'm reading verse one, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacharias who was, uh, I mean, Zacchaeus, excuse me, a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he, and he sought to see Jesus, but he could not because of the crowd for he was short statured. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, he saw him, and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, he came down, and received him joyfully. But when it, they saw it, who saw it? Religious people of the world, right? All the, 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 the you know, maybe, maybe weren't all Pharisees, the, the uppities. Then, this, then they saw him go with him, and he says, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. He's eating with a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I, I, have, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, it was interesting in this story here is that Zacchaeus Okay, he was a tax collector, so he was a Jewish tax collector working for the Romans. So nobody liked him, right? So I don't know. I'm kind of painting. Just give it to me today. Paint with a broad brush here. I may not be totally 100% right in the psychology of all this, but said he was a short stature, right? So maybe he had a, you know, the little man syndrome and he was really trying to be t bigger than he was. And so therefore he became a tax collector for the Romans because then he had power and authority to absurd it upon the people. I don't know. I'm just, you know, like I said, it'll preach. And so he climbs up in a tree, which you, if you were somebody prominent, you're not going to climb a tree. If he would have forced people to get down on their hands and knees and made a pyramid, then he climbed up their backs that would be something that a powerful rich man might do, but not climb a tree. So something was happening in Zacchaeus's heart that made him to where he wanted to see Jesus. Something was beckoning him. Something was yearning in him. Something down inside of him. He didn't know what, but he wanted to see this man and he was willing to give up all of his uh, pomp, his, his stature, his everything to get this moment, a glimpse at Jesus. I think right now happening in the world today, there are people that are getting hungry and there are people that are down on the inside of them. It's stern. They're saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong, but it's something's just not right. This just, just, just not right. It doesn't set well with me. There's something stirring on the inside of people. I believe we're about to see a great shift and move for God. 
I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the government because you got to understand in the days of Jesus, there was a great move of God, but they still had the Romans and they still had the problems they had to deal with in the government. Okay. And so as long as our government is going to set up disinformation councils to try to tell us what's the correct information when they're the one putting out the wrong information, you know, he, it's like, what? It's like the cat going to have and start a mouse school to teach mice how to avoid cats. The mice are saying, uh, don't think so. Uh, something doesn't seem right here. Okay. So anyway, here he is, but something's happening. Something's churning in his heart. And I believe there's people right now that have not been serving Jesus, have not been walking with God, have not really considered things about godliness. And all of a sudden they're shocked and they're, they're beginning to see a, a change in something like Zacchaeus. They're saying something's not right. Maybe it's time for us to call up a tree and see what's going on. Okay. So then he goes to his house and Jesus is at his house. I don't see anywhere where Jesus started preaching. I don't see anywhere in there where Jesus started saying, Zacchaeus, you know, you're a sinner. You're been stealing and robbing. I don't see where anything went out, but all of a sudden inside of him, look what he did here. He says, okay, uh, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Where'd that come from? You know? Where'd it come from? It wasn't Jesus's sermon. It was out of him. In other words, Zacchaeus down on the inside of him had some form of what he used to think norm was. He used to think it was normal to be generous. But then somewhere the world began to twist him and warp him and and get him to where he was as a greedy tax collector. But when they got in Jesus's presence, those walls started to come down and no one had to tell him what was right. He knew what was right. And what I'm saying is I believe there's people in the world. And even though they may not be at this time appear the the most godly. I believe they dead on the inside of them like Zacchaeus are going to know what's right. Okay. then he said. Uh, give my half to more. And if I've taken anything, anybody have a false accusation, I'm going to restore fourfold. In other words, <laughs> he's like, I, I know that I, you can't just give it back. I've got to pay reparations in this and, and, and restoration in this and, 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 and make it right. And the only way I can honestly make it right is I've got to give and make it, I've got to fourfold it. Jesus didn't tell him this. It came out of him. That's been my prayer that people would wake up and they would just, they know down on the inside of them what's right and what's wrong. Come on, all of us know what's right and what's wrong. And so they'll just start by the, because Jesus has been in their presence. They're just going to know the truth and get back to the norm. Now, so here we go. How do you get your normal back? See, you may think you're being normal. But what if you've already gotten, what if you've already gotten off base? Look at the person beside you and said, he must be talking to you. He's not talking to me. I don't know. You know, I'm right. I've always been right. Can't be me. Must be somebody on the broadcast he's talking to. It's not me. In other words, you had a conviction. You had a, a, uh, a conviction towards something. But then after a while, you just kind of let it go. 
because it was either too difficult, too hard. You used to pray with your family every morning, but then you quit doing that. You used to bless your kids at night, but then you stopped doing that. And you just kind of changed your norm. Hello? You used to read your Bible every morning, but, you know, and then it just kind of got changed. In other words, you've backed off. It's happened to all of us. It's happened to every one of us. We backed off. I had to do a funeral yesterday for my uh, ex-brother-in-law, I guess you would say. And uh, I, I don't know, I had a real... In the middle of the in the middle of the the message, I just had this revelation, and uh, I'm standing there, and I'm looking at the coffin, and and the hole is right there. And as I look into the hole, I mean, it just came all over me because the scripture always uses for the very last is Ecclesiastes twelve, where it says, you know, before the the, the cord is broken before the picture is destroyed. Make sure you've gotten right with your maker. And I'm looking in the grave and it just hit me. And I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I pray anybody out there watching, listening to this, they'll hear this. And it was like, <clears throat> I said to the congregation there, I said to the, everybody together, I said, you know, it's interesting because it's no matter what you amass in this world, no matter how big you are, no matter how famous you are, no matter how how uh, much you have or how little you have, every one of us ends up right here in this hole. And it was, man, it was strong on me. I was just looking in that hole thinking, this is it. Can you imagine amassing everything, building fortunes, doing all that, but you're going to end up right there in the dirt. Because as God made man out of the dirt, so man's going to return to the dirt. Nobody's getting away from it. Nobody escapes it. It's a part of life is dying. And as I looked in there, I realized when you start thinking about it like that, how small everything else looks in life. Because you're not building. Are you building for heaven or are you building for your kingdom here on earth? And what happened to Zacchaeus, it was the same type of revelation. It hit him. I've been building my kingdom here on this earth and that's not what counts. I want to make everything right because I want to be building my kingdom in heaven. When you get in the presence of Jesus, when you have these come to Jesus moments, that's what makes everything redefine itself and set your norm back in place. It's called repentance. Now, let me give you another story here. Let's go uh, Old Testament to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train and his robe filled the temple. And above it stood a seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, we're talking here about Isaiah. 
Do you understand? Major prophet of the Bible. And when he comes into this revelation, when he has this vision and he sees God and he sees the angels, he sees what's going on, he sees all that. It hits in him and he just falls to his feet, his knees and says, Whoa, is me. I'm a man. I'm a sinner. I'm a man. I'm not clean. I'm not right. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of the king. Oh, my goodness gracious. The first thing that happened to him was just like Zacchaeus. He got in a revelation that his norm wasn't right. That he wasn't right with God. And so what did he do? He repented. Woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. All right? So look what happens. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away from you and your sin is purged. The angel took a coal from off the altar. And he brought it and he touched Isaiah's lips because remember he said, I'm a, well, it's me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with unclean uh, people that are unclean lips. Touches his lips and then the angel said, now it's taken care of. You see, Jesus is so good to us. He always has this way. He never wants us to be left in the place where we're just looking at our lack and looking at our sin and looking at where our failures are and what we have missed. He doesn't want us there. It does you no good to sit around and beat yourself up. Hear what I'm saying, church? Does you no good at all to sit around and beat yourself up? The Bible says it's godly repentance, godly sorrow that brings us to repentance. That's what it says. So what does that mean? It means it's the revelation that you have to have a savior. It's the revelation that you cannot do it right. It's the revelation that you can't get it right. You can't by works win. You can't by works serve God. You can't by works do it. You're not going to make it. You might as well admit it on the start. It's like starting out your salvation walk, looking out there and saying, I want to tell you something. This ain't going to work, Lord. I'm going to fail before I get to the end of the road. Hello? And Jesus says, you know, it's okay. I want you to know that you can't make it. I want you to know that you're not going to get there. I, I, I want you to know. I want you to know that, but I want you to know that I have a way to get you there. Amen. Called Grace. I have a way to get you there, but you got to do it my way. And my way is not a way of works and you making it happen and you practicing and got your scriptures down. And, oh, man, you're doing the exercise um, to, to, to live by your righteousness. He said, no, no, you got to live by my grace. And my grace says you're going to get there because by your faith, you believe in me. So the angel touches Isaiah's lips. Same thing happens. He says, man, I realize I'm a sinner. I want to take care of that situation, Isaiah. Now, you know, Proverbs 18, 21 says that death and life's in the power of your tongue, right? Isn't that an interesting thing to say death and life's in the power of your tongue? And I've, you know, preachers have taken their scriptures and broke this out and wrote books all over it. You know, good stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong. But the real truth of the matter is that, you know, where your tongue, when you come to the revelation that Jesus is it and you can repent, your tongue, life comes to you. 
The worst, the worst thing is to be an, a Christian who's been serving the Lord for a long time and you pretty well just think you've got it down. So you're running on, you know, just uh, that same, same speed. You're just going along with the Lord and you think everything's okay. That's when you get in danger. Because you think, yeah, I'm doing good. I got it good. You know, and you get like that scripture that where the Pharisee goes up there and says, looks over at the other guy that's with him, and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. <laughs> this dude is messing up all the time. And then the other guy, the sinner, is over there beating his chest, saying, Oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And God says, That man was justified, not the other one. As soon as you get to serving, that's what's happened to Christians, the American Christians. We haven't had any persecution. Nobody's been chasing you, trying to nail you to a cross. Nobody's been trying to kill you for your belief. Nobody's been going on trying to do, get, you know, you've not had any pressure. And we've been, it's made it easier and easier. And we've got books on top of books, on top of Bibles, on top of Bibles, on top of translations, on top of translations, on top of everything else. It's all been laid out to us. And the American Christian has gotten fat-eared and fat Fat mouth, fat lipped. Hello? And they haven't, they haven't had any place where they're really falling their face saying, God, I'm a sinner. Because they're looking around saying, well, he's ain't as bad as that guy. And folks, listen to me. When you get like that, you're in trouble. Because you're starting to live an apathetic life and you're starting to change your norm. And like I said, that's where you enter into that place called normalcy bias, where you've changed your norm and now you're biased towards that. And you say, yeah, I have a tendency. That's the way it should be. And you've changed. But Isaiah, when he saw God, he said, ah, he just fell on his face and said, my God, I am so far off. The greatest fear that I have in life is someday stepping up at this pulpit and God, by the anointing, has left me. And it's just Robert Richards to try to talk. Because you don't want to know what I got to say. <laughs> that if I can't tell you something by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, man, you do not want to hear me. I'll get you in trouble so fast. We've got to be. And so I'm always on my face saying, oh, God, don't leave me. Don't leave me, man. Don't let that happen to me. Lord, just, just take my spirit from me. Let me drop dead. Do not let that happen to me. Oh, my gosh, it would be horrible. Because you see, folks, when you get to that place of apathy, what happened is you're, you're in such danger of being tricked by the enemy. We should be waking up. So let me show you here, Isaiah. Let me go down. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, I'm still in Isaiah 6, 8. He said, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send or who shall go for us? And then I said, here I am, Lord. Now, wait a minute. This is the same guy that just seconds before said, whoa, it's me, man. I'm a man of unclean lips. But then the angel touched his lip, purged his sin, and now he's like, hey, yeah, send me. I'll go. See, what's going to have to happen to the American church is the American church is going to have to have that moment of repentance where they repentance starts at the house of God, where they begin to get repented in their own side of they haven't been ministering to their brother. You say, well, who, who, who's also supposed to minister to? Well, <laughs> go read Matthew's gospel where he's talking about, man, and you've done it unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. It's those people that are all around us. But all of a sudden, we're like Isaiah. We're saying, send me, Lord. I mean, you know, 
I'll go. I'll go forth and I'll do what you want me to. I'll, I'll go, Lord, send me. Because all of a sudden there's been a change on the inside of us. All of a sudden there's been a change on the inside of us. And see, when you have met Jesus and you've come into his presence and this revelation has hit you, there's a change inside of you. And you can't be the same. When I got saved, God bless them. I, I'm, I, I'm not throwing stones at them. But I never forget the first pastor I went back to. He patted me on the back and I was so excited about getting saved, knowing Jesus. And he patted me on the back and said, you know, it's all right, Robert. It'll eventually this will wear off and then you'll get back to normal. And I was like, well, I don't want to go to church here. And then the next church I went to, that pastor patted me on the back and said, well, Robert, you just need to do the, the rules and the regulations that we have. And I'm like, but they're not in the Bible. Well, but this is the way we do it. And I said, well, I don't want to do it that way if it's not in the Bible. And so I left that one. Had the hardest time finding anybody I could get in agreement with me that would just believe what the Bible said. I want to do what the Bible said. But inside of me was a ravenous hunger. I wanted to do what the Bible said. I wanted to get myself lined up with God according to what the word said, because there was, I had met Jesus. He'd come in and saved my life. And it was, it was, my eyes were open and it was a whole nother world and everything had changed. And I wanted, I was so hungry for the things of God, but I wanted to know what the word says, because that was what was, I, I felt, I just, I mean, it, it didn't take any rocket scientists to figure out if this is the Bible, this is what we should be doing. <laughs> but yet today, Oh my gosh, today, it's like, oh, I mean, major denominations. And I'm just like, man, have you read your Bible? Why is there a debate? I don't understand why there's a debate and why there's a shift and change. And we've gone to a social, a social message versus a truth message. And I don't understand how you can get away with that. You have to ignore the Bible. You have to put it up, lock it in a box, and it'll still be screaming at you because if you've ever read it, it's still going to be on the inside of you what to do. Hello? So Isaiah says, oh, send me, send me, send me. You see, there's got to be a repentance. There's got to be a change of heart before there can really be a revival. Everybody's crying out for revival. Everybody wants a revival, but they always want the revival to be the revival that comes like they want it to come. And there's going to be no revival until the hearts of the church and the true Christians have found repentance. I'm not praying for revival. I'll be honest with you. I'm not praying for revival. I'm praying for people to repent. That's how I'm putting it. That people's their eyes are open, their hearts are open. They realize that, that man, we are not on the right page with what God says. All right. I'm not so interested in the way people dress, the way people talk, what people eat. Where they, what, what they're doing. I'm not talking about the, the, the this physical things. I'm talking about the things of the spirit. Folks, listen to me. If you can ball face lie to somebody, there's something wrong inside your heart. If you can cheat somebody, there's something wrong. Forget about, forget about, you know, the box of donuts you ate. Man, there's something wrong with you and your heart and your soul. Right? Okay. So I'm not for social, social agendas. I'm not going to preach to you social agendas. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says. Okay. Cause I don't want to just gather people in here in a church and have a bunch of sheep that, you know, ain't got no sense. I want a bunch of sheep that know we're all sinners and going to go to hell if we don't get our hearts right. 
And we're so grateful that we're not going to hell. We'll stand up and say, Lord, send me. I'll go do whatever you want me to because I'm just glad I'm in the, I'm just glad I'm on the wagon. I'm glad I'm in the bunch. I'm glad I'm in the band, Lord. I'm just so happy I'm going to heaven. I don't really care about anything else, right? I'm just glad I know my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm going to enter in and glory to God, whatever happens from there, that's all bonus. Right? I just want in. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. So what does repentance do for us? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now go look at Romans 4, Romans 4, 3. Romans 4, 3. Where it says, so what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, it's so funny because when Moses came along and brought the law, he brought the law in to show man that they could not live by the law. That's what the whole law was written for. The law was never written with the intent that man would do it. The law was written with the intent that man would see that he couldn't do it. Isn't that crazy? You spent all that time and did all that work, making up, you know, writing it all down, getting it all in there to show man they couldn't do it. Right? But man determined that they could do it. And they tried to do it. And then they tried to couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. So then they got another book and wrote it of the ways to get around the things you're supposed to do that you can't do. And everybody said, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. Let's get a book and make excuses of not doing what you said you'd do because you can't do that. So we just got the book of the slip through book. Just. But before that was Abraham, who was the first Jew, who became the father of many nations, he was acting by faith. He didn't have a law to keep. The law hadn't been written. Moses is after Abraham, right? So then what does it say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God. Faith activated righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, he's not talking about work like digging a hole. He's talking about trying to do good trying to look good, trying to look right. I'll never forget a man named Silas Uwidi who was from uh, Africa and came here years ago and he was preaching. And he was a mighty man of God in Africa. A lot of churches started, a lot of things going on. And, and I'll never forget I was visiting with him because I was taking him back and forth from uh, his, his house to the service and I'd ask him all kinds of questions just trying to learn something from a man of God. And I asked him something, and anyway, he got to me. He says, yeah, the problem is in America. He says, you never know who's full of the devil. He said, in Africa, we know. It's the crazy man standing there with his hair all matted. He hasn't taken a bath. He's the crazy man standing outside. You know what? Here, he said, you take your crazy people, you dress them up in three-piece suits, and you bring them into the service. All right. <laughs> and I thought, you're right. 
you're absolutely right. You just look out there. Yeah, there's the crazy guy, but man, you know, we're all imposters brought in. Crazy people dressed up because they're trying to do it by works. They're saying, if I pretty myself up and I make everything look good and I look good on the outside, man, I'm going to be okay. I'll fool everybody. But that's works. And he says, nobody's going to be justified by that. He says, no, it's by faith. It's by faith that God imputes righteousness apart from the works. See, God did it, folks. And what we ought to be is glad God did it and quit trying to do live and live by works and learn to repentance and say, God, here I am. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Lord, I repent today because I haven't been living like I should have. I haven't been in your presence. I haven't been reading my word like I should. I haven't been treating my wife like I should. Lord, I've been making her get everything for me. Some of y'all don't think that's too funny. Well, she should. That's why I married her. So help me. Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1. And let me get this finished up so we can have communion. And he made alive who were dead in their trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Can I say it this way? You once were, walked according to the normalcy of the world. See, the world wants to put out and say, this is the way it is. And folks, I could get real direct with you this morning and I could start just listing all the things that is going on, but I'm pretty sure that you've got it figured out. I mean, when a man has to come and buy a platform like Twitter so that we can have free speech and has to spend $43 billion of his own money to ensure that something's wrong. I mean, folks, just, I mean, come on, this, something's wrong. You got to just stop and say, wow, this is real. This is not, this is not the movies. This is not fiction. This is real. The old movie, 1984, we have that happening. I mean, the Orwellian deal about Big Brother and all this kind of stuff is going on. Man, folks, if they're, if the government's going to create a, 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 a committee to tell us what is right, and what is the truth of information? What are they doing messing with that? Who you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's what people want to do. They want to do what they want to do and fulfill their nature and fulfill their lust and fulfill their desires. But all of y'all know in here, if you say, well, I don't do that. Well, listen to me. How many of you in here, you've wanted to tongue lash somebody and you did? And you saw the result of it. It didn't bear fruit. Okay, it didn't bear fruit. But that's what the nature wants to set in us as the norm of what to do. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Look at that. 
God's wanting to show us kindness. God's wanting to show us his mercy, his love and his grace. But we, because we do not repent, we do not say, woe is me. We stay out of that blessing because we're over here trying to do it by works. He said, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. By grace you have been saved through faith. 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 It's not works. At least anyone should boast. For we as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One more scripture, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Do y'all remember that ridiculous movie that came out probably in the 80s, The Rhinestone Cowboy? (laughs) If The Rhinestone Cowboy would have showed up at the NFR, he'd have been run off pretty quick, right? And so my point is, is you can say you're a Christian and become the rhinestone cowboy of the Christian. But when you get around real Christians, they're going to know that you're a rhinestone cowboy. Is that a good enough point? Did I get the example across right there? Okay. But now, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off. Now you've gotten saved. You made Jesus Lord of your life. You threw down and said, Lord, I repent. I forgive. I want, I want to be, I, I got to be on. Woe is me, Lord. Now you've entered into Jesus and now you were once or far, but now you've been brought near by his blood. He is our peace who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. There is no separation between you and God Almighty, the middle wall being the veil of the temple. There is nothing in there. It's been torn down. It's gone. It's, uh, it's taken away. You can walk right into the, to the throne of God and say, hello, daddy. Just like Isaiah said, yeah, yeah, send me, send me. You can be the person that goes to the throne and say, hey, daddy, daddy, hey. And he said, come on up here, son. Come on up here, daughter. Because you did the one thing. You repented. A heartfelt true repentance. Sorry that you weren't in your own strength able to measure up before God. And so, folks, I want to tell you something. That's me. Because I know I do not have the ability in myself. I'm not going to make it. If, Robert, if it's dependent upon Robert Richards, he's not going to make it. I won't make it. And there, I won't even get anywhere in close that I'm not going to mess up. But praise God through the blood of Jesus and for his grace. And looking to Jesus saying, Jesus, no, you're so amazing. And I believe in you and I trust in you to be my Lord and Savior. Now I'm in grace. Now I just keep my mouth shut. See, I don't know what y'all are going to do when we get to heaven, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I'm just going to get in. I'm going to nod. Smile. Because I don't want to say anything stupid. I'm going to wait till somebody else does or something. I'm just not going to be the first, okay? I mean, eventually I'll have to say something other than thank you, Jesus. And I plead the blood. Somebody comes up to me like looking for the ticket. I'll say, I plead blood. I plead blood, man. I Blood Jesus on me. I never forget the very first time I ever flew on an airplane. 
that I actually got to fly in first class. A friend of mine that worked for a travel agency worked this thing around and I got to fly in first class. And I was so nervous. I was upended because I just knew they were going to say, you are not a first class passenger. <laughs> we can obviously see you have done something illegal to get into first class. I knew it. And I was in, I'll never forget it. And those, they were flying one of those big, whatever they call those things, those big 747s or whatever it was. And I was in the, the, the number one seat in first class. One was my number right at the beginning. And I was just paralyzed. I just knew, I was watching everybody. I just knew they were going to get me. I knew they were going to make me get out. Because I didn't feel like I was a first class passenger. I was just so glad I was in first class. And, and so I remember the, the, I kept my ticket. All the time I kept my ticket with me. My ticket was like in my hand. Every time somebody walked by and say, do you want... Uh, no, sir, we know you're here. Uh, we, would you like something to drink? Uh, yeah. Somebody look, anybody look. Guy on the other side, look at me. I just go like this. Hey. Held on to my ticket, man, because I just knew they were going to throw me out of there. And I did pretty good because this is in the old days where you could still carry a pocket knife on a plane. And they came down to the time to start the service. And, and I opened up the little deal. I finally looked around. Everybody was getting their tray out from this armrest and looking in there. So I got it open. I looked down in there. I could see it. And there's a little strap. I kept pulling on it. It wouldn't come out. And I thought, well, I guess mine's broke, you know. And I messed around. That. So I thought, man, I think that thing's just wedged in there. So I got my pocket knife out and I was trying to... <laughs> And the, the stewardess comes up there and puts her hand on my, and says, sir, so, so let me take care of this. And she just took her finger and pushed it down just a little bit. I think just walked up. Like, uh. But they still didn't throw me out. You know, the plane's already gone. You can't get thrown out, you know, too much. They can't open up the door and throw me out. But that feeling of just knowing that they were going to at any minute throw me out, I kept hold of that ticket. Well, folks, I want to tell you something. If you're feeling like that, listen, in Christ, at any moment, you may be found out and you may get thrown out. Okay, well, listen to me. You need today to just simply repent and say, Lord, I can't do it by works. I got to have your grace and let the grace of God come upon you. Let his blood wash your sins away. Let him take you to a place where you know that you know that you know that you're in heaven. Now, when I go through those doors, like I said, I may not be saying anything. I may not be talking, but, but I know that I belong there. Hello? And I know my name's written in the book of life. And if somebody questions it, I don't say, check it again. It's in there, right? You need to know that you know. But there's no sense trying to live your life by works and making that all be what you think is going to make it. you never make it. So today when we have communion, I just want to encourage you. It's a good time to repent. It's a good time to have that reflection before God and say, Lord, you know, it's all you. Only thing I'm getting in this thing is my confession saying, Lord, I love you. I want you in my life. So those of you out there watching in the audience, get your communion elements ready. We're going to be serving here in a minute. Can I have my uh, pastoral team, prayer team come down to help me up here this morning? If you're out there listening and watching, you know, I, I, here at Living Waters, we only we believe that if Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life, then you're more than welcome to have communion with us. If you're not sure that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, well, the Bible's real simple. It says if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and do what I was talking about this morning, repent and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm looking to you, not my abilities, but to you, that Jesus will come into your life and save you and touch you right there. 
If you're in the building today and you need prayer, our prayer team's up here. If you want to rededicate your life, you want to pray for the very first time and ask Jesus to come into your life, well, that's why the prayer team's up here. Just come up and get with one of them and, and they'll pray with you. If you need prayer over anything, they're here to pray with you. But folks, let's search our hearts this morning. And let's have that Isaiah experience of the angel touching our hearts and bringing us the right relationship with Jesus.